incredible question. Why would you, not the person around you, but you, why would you want to spend your life merely doing something great? You say, what? Why would you want to squander and throw your life away merely trying to do something great? Well, you say, David, I have kind of thought it would be incredible if I did something great. Will you listen to me? You don't need God to do something great. Read the newspaper. Read a business journal. Read a book. Men who make no pretense of knowing anything about the power of God routinely on planet Earth do great things. You don't need God to do something great. Why would you, who have God, want to waste your life merely doing something great when God has called you to do the impossible? There is a world of difference between Attempting something great. Men without God, cults do it all the time. I mean, go look at their accomplishments and you say, my soul is that greater what? Yes, it is. But God never called his people to do the great. God called his people to do the impossible. And when you start talking the impossible with the people that don't have God, suddenly they get very quiet. Because suddenly they say, while through talent and through diligence and through organization and through masterful skills, we can do the great. We can't do the impossible. I mean, after all, it's, impossible. <laughs> and yet nationwide, our churches are now full of believers who think it would be incredible if they could just muster up to do something great. And they're throwing their lives away. Preacher, God never called you to do something great. He calls you to do the impossible. What would it take tonight for you to decide to do something not great? What would it take for you to decide to do something impossible?
I promise you, when you get out of bed this morning, this never entered your bonnet. The devil has no fear of God's people trying to do great things, but he trembles when God's people do the impossible. Mom, have the kids seen mom do the impossible? Dad, have you done the impossible? Preacher, too often we've come to the place where we act like religious CEOs. God never called a church to do great things God commissioned the church to do the impossible. If there was ever an hour that the battle is the Lord's needs to be heard, it's not to do great things. Did you see those stories? Every one of them was not a great feat that he mentioned. Every one of them was an impossible feat. Before you leave here tonight, I'm going to ask you to ask God to use you to do something specifically impossible. Or do you just want to let the days slide by and watch life pass? How many of you, like me, are impressed with how quick the days go by? Hold your hand up. Right now, I'm discovering body parts I didn't know I owned. <laughs> how many of you have discovered a few? Hold your hand up. Right I want you to listen to me. If there was ever an hour when this nation and the world needs to see God's people not do great things, but do impossible things, it's right now. And yet somehow in our minds, surely there's somebody who can do something impossible, never thinking us. You're about to read two stories in the Bible. And I bring you this message because one night in my devotions, doing my routine reading schedule, which I diligently try to keep in the Scripture, I realized how tragically I had misread a story in the Bible. It's the story of Peter walking on the water. I want to tell you what prompted me. I'm reading away, and I don't know how I got this image. I think I know. But in my mind, when Peter walked on the water, he walked on flat water. 
And I think the reason I thought that is because the flannel graph always showed it flat. <laughs> but that isn't what the story says. This story is preceded by Jesus taking a huge congregate of people up onto a mountain. The Bible says, now this is no man's count, this is God's count, there were 5,000 men, plus the women and children. And they're up there teaching them. Jesus has his disciples with them, and he wants to start to give them a lesson in the impossible. Because nobody can do God's work until you're ready to do the impossible. You can do great things for God, but God's work calls for impossible things. They're up there, the people get tired, it's time to eat, and the disciples come to Jesus. Now they're close at his heels, they're in training. And they said, we've got to send these people away. They've got to go eat. By the way, how many of you like to eat? Hold your hand up, will you? I just got to tell you, I'm at the spot where I don't even like people who don't like to eat. Those people who pick at their food, you know? Man, are you a sick puppy or what? Man, we get to heaven, there's going to be a marriage supper. <laughs> and it's not going to be for food pickers, all right? <laughs> they said, we got a problem. We got a kid's lunch in the whole group. We got to send them away. We got a few loaves, a couple fish. And by the way, a loaf that they were talking about was not a loaf, like you would think. A loaf in that day was something slightly smaller than a Twinkie. How I many of you know what a Twinkie is, right? I, I mean, this baby is two bites and gone. They said, we got a kid's lunch. It's not a great one. We got the loaves and fishes. And Jesus said, I want to give you your first lesson in the impossible. Feeding these people to their fill is not a great accomplishment. It is an impossible accomplishment. Get the most talented people you know. Hold all of the committee meetings you can muster. You're not going to bring this one about. Go to all the leadership seminars you can get to. We got 5,000 men. We got the women. We got the children. We got a few little tiny loaves and fishes. And Jesus says, let me show you what I can do. Now understand, the key to the impossible is always Jesus. The Bible says he blessed it. They started distributing it. And can you fathom? The Bible says they ate their fill. And when they were done, they picked up 12 baskets. 
That's not great. That's impossible. Have you ever gone to a meeting, maybe at a church or somewhere, where they're serving food and there's not enough? Isn't that a bummer? I, I mean, really. You try to be polite about it, but that's a day wrecker right there. I'm telling you. You have never been to a meal where after everybody ate their filth from nothing, you ended up with more than you started with. And Jesus said, I want you to understand, this is not great, this is impossible. I want you to understand, I can do the impossible. By the way, how many of you serve the God of the impossible? How many of you serve the God that says, ask of me? Right? Now, Brother Mike, if we'd have been there, we'd have said, how the fire did he do that? You hear me? You can never explain or understand the impossible. If you can understand it, it wasn't impossible. Now, that unsettles us because we like things we can understand. We like to say, let me show you how we did this. If we'd have held the seminar on feeding the 5,000, we'd have said, hanged if I know. He just did it. Now he takes them and he puts them in a boat. And he tells his disciples, I want you to go to the other side of the lake. And that's where the story commences. Chapter 14, the book of Matthew, verse 22. There are five absolute conditions to doing the impossible repeated again and again in the Bible, and all five are in this text. No man, no woman, no team, no boy, no girl ever does the impossible without meeting these five. The five were in your story tonight. Boy, I beg you, I beg you for the sake of the cause of Christ. Do you understand? It wasn't just buildings that came down. When those terrorists committed that act, the mouth of hell opened wide. And I pray, oh, I pray, many were believers. But you know and I know. Boy, is this the hour. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now please note, the disciples are doing exactly what Jesus commands them to do. He says, get into this boat and go to the other side. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. When the evening was come, he was there alone. I'm not preaching on this, but if the Son of God needed to pray, 
I believe we're prayer bankrupt. Verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. Now circle the word tossed. Jesus has put them in a boat. He tells them exactly what course to strike. And doing exactly what the Son of God tells them to do, they end up in this absolutely mind and emotion terrifying thunderstorm. This boat had experienced mariners in it. Several of these men made their living on the sea. But this storm is so horrific and so bad that they are paralyzed and it has their emotions absolutely frayed. The Bible says the ship was tossed the word tossed used there in the Bible meant this boat was totally coming out of the water and this was the word for something that was being thrown violently. How'd you like to be in a ship that is violently kicking and bucking? Now remember, they're in the boat Jesus put them in. And can I tell you, if I were in that boat, a thought that would have come to me? <laughs> Number one, we're doing what he said, and a fine kettle of fish we're in. You know what I hear all the time? Well, if God's in it, how come we're having so much trouble? Can I remind you, in the Old and New Testament, God's people repetitively and continually had trouble. And the fact you've got trouble doesn't mean God isn't in it. The second thought I'd have had is, if he can feed 5,000, how come he can't fix this? This boat is bucking violently. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Circle the word contrary in your Bible. The word contrary means the wind was coming from all sides. The one thing you want to do in a storm is head into the storm. But you don't know which way to turn if the wind's coming left, right, front, back. Have you ever been where you don't know which way to turn? How many of you ever said, what in the fire are we going to do now? Well, that's where they were. Man, this boat is violently kicking and bucking. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is unusual, it's 3 a.m., it's pitch dark. Isn't it funny? The flannel graph never showed it dark. <laughs> I had a bone to pick with my Sunday school teachers, I think. <laughs> Do you understand? This boat is hopelessly out of control. It's in the 3 a.m. hour. It is pitch dark. The spray is flying every which way. The wind is swirling and coming from all sides. 
and the boat is paralyzed in the middle of that. They can't go forward, they can't go backwards. And where do you see this? These guys are so on edge, their nerves are so frayed by what's happening to them. These are the disciples. They are about to squeal like teenage girls. That's right. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch, 3 a.m. of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now, this sea is violently out of control, and the Son of God comes walking on this violent sea. And somebody says, how does he do that? Any way he pleases. I want to tell you right now, We've made too much of a buddy out of Jesus. Jesus is not your buddy. He's the Son of God. Man, he can walk on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Now circle the word troubled. Peculiar word used here. It meant terrified saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. The word cried there was the word for squealing uncontrollably. How many of you, like me, love to really scare people real good? How many of you were raised with a sister like I was? Hold your hand up, will you? How many of you, one of the great delights in life is scaring the fire out of your sister? Hold it. Now, bear in mind, it's only fun if it's you doing the scaring, all right? The disciples, I mean, here's John and Matthew and Mark, and and here they are, and they are so terrified that when they see the Son of God, they cry for fear. You say, you don't know how bad my situation is right now, Brother Gibbs. Well, I know how bad theirs was. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now, circle the word be of good cheer. There's almost a little irony here. The word cheer there was the word for happy. They just screamed uncontrollably. They're terrified in this storm. And the Son of God says to them, would you all please get happy? He didn't say be joyful. He said be of good cheer. It is I. Oh, now... Somebody's about to do the impossible. And Peter, verse 28, answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now fasten your seatbelts, because here's the first condition to doing the impossible. By the way, how many of you would love for God to use you to do the impossible? Hold your hand up. Maybe it's the impossible in a relationship. 
Or you say, Brother Gibbs, you, you just don't understand how messed up it all is. You don't understand what's happened. Uh, maybe it's the impossible in an accomplishment. Maybe it's the impossible for God to change something in you. The first requirement to doing the impossible is you have to ask. And you have to do it specifically. When is the last time you asked specifically? Note how specific he got. Lord, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, will you listen to me? If there was ever a night you didn't want to go water walking, it was this night. This is a night you want to hunker down in the boat and hang on for dear life. And by the way, you know what we've got everywhere is boat potatoes. We got people whose main ministry in life is trying to get a better seat in the boat. Or seeing if they can't get room in a bigger boat. God never called you or me to hunker in the boat. There were 12 disciples in that boat. John! Why didn't you ask? Mark! Only one man asked, and only one went water walking. When is the last time you specifically asked God to use you to do something impossible. Now I want to confess to you, Brother Knapp, I'm having some trouble with this because the words just fit. And that's the devil doing everything he can. and ye shall receive. You have not because you ask not. Nothing is going to change until we specifically ask. No, he didn't say, I'd like to come by it. Could you levitate me over? See how specific he got? Lord, bid me come unto thee on the water. What would it take for you to ask God the specifics? Or is your God not big enough?
You see, we like trying to do great things because we don't need to go water walking to do great things. But to do the impossible, you always have to go water walking. By the way, how many of you think water walking is impossible? Hold your hand up, will you? If you don't, just have a crack at it. I recommend you use incredibly shallow water. Now, can't you hear the boys in the boat? And by the way, when you get ready to ask God for the impossible, don't get up. Don't think a lot of guys are going to say, that's wonderful. <laughs> can't you hear the boys? Can't you hear John? There he goes, shooting off his mouth again. <laughs> Wait till mom hears about this. Twelve of the great men of God were in that boat, but only one asked. Preacher, are you the model of asking? If you're going to do the impossible, you have to ask specifically. Traveling through the night, dear pastor friend of mine, wonderful black man, it's about 2 a.m. We're traveling, we need some fuel. And I love to stop in the middle of the night. I love gas marts in the middle of the night. Best food in America is in a gas mart. <laughs> That's right. You feel justified in eating anything there because nothing else is open. We're traveling, and this preacher says to me, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, I asked God for something. I said, really, what? We're just watching the black miles go by, watching the white lines, middle of the night. He said, seven years ago, I asked God to let me individually win one soul to Christ each and every day. I said, wow. And he said, in seven years, God has not failed to let me win one soul a day, personally to Christ. I said, wow. I said, can I ask a question? He said, yeah. I said, if you like win two or three on one day. Can you parcel them out? <laughs> he said, nope. He says, lots of days I win more than one. But he said, I told God I don't want to count one person that comes forward while I'm preaching. So it's win one a day to Christ. And he said, I carry none of them forward. And he said, I also ask God to let me be convinced they got saved. I said, boy, you were pretty specific. He said, well, you got to be. If you're going to do the impossible. 
He said, fact, it's after midnight. He said, man, God wonderfully gave me two yesterday, but he said, I'm on the soul patrol right now. <laughs> he said, what's the soul patrol? He said, I'm hunting them down. He said, God's got them. They got an appointment with me they don't know about yet. And he said, maybe they're in this gas mart. Man, we're pumping gas while he's telling me this. I thought, man, I, I want to see this. This is going to be good. <laughs> we go in the mart and get some, you know, good stuff to eat. Load up, walk up, nice lady behind the counter. He walks up, puts the stuff down. Girl looks up. I mean, it's maybe 2.30 now in the morning. Girl looked at us and he said, you probably got a meeting with me you don't know about. And I thought, oh, that's smooth. Yeah, that's... I mean, we couldn't start out with, my name's Dave, what's yours? You know, we're... He said, young lady, God may just sent me to decide whether you're going to spend forever in heaven and hell. And he said, I know it's the middle of the night, but I want to ask you, where would you go if you died tonight? Boy, I'm like, whoa. Hope she don't have a gun behind that counter. <laughs> Man, she reached under the counter. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, the thought of she getting a gun, I know it. My insides are, I'm not even going to get to eat this food. I'm going to have. Funny thoughts go through your mind when you think you're going to die. She reached under the counter and pulled up a Bible. And she said, glory to God. She said, I've worked here four years. No one's ever asked me. Oh, are you a blessing? She said, I know Jesus is my Savior. I was wonderfully saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Oh, she said, this is good. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, oh, shucks, she's saved. I mean, I wanted to see something. And she said, I'm telling you, by the shed blood of Jesus, and now she's got her hand up here, she said, I'm going to heaven. And a lady who has walked up behind us, who I don't even see, has got two jugs of milk and one of water in her hand. I, mean, I don't even know she's there. She chimes in and says, well, she may not go, she may know where she's going when she dies, but I don't. Maybe you have this all the time. I've, she said, I haven't been able to sleep for two days. She said, something's all over me. She said, I'm so scared I can't stop my hands from shaking. She said, I'm not religious, but I'm worried about talking to God when I die. She said, can you help me? 
So I said, you don't want me, man. You want him. You don't have no appointment with me. It's That's what I told her. You know what the preacher said? He looked at the girl behind the counter. She said, right place, wrong lady. And he turned. He starts talking to her. Tears are just flooding down her face. So maybe you've all, I, I'm just speechless. I'm, I'm so, look, this is unreal. Now, two more people come walking up. And they're like, what's she crying about? And she said, I'm worried that if I died, man, God wouldn't be happy with how I'm living. And the one man, he said, man, I got the same problem. And his wife is standing there and said, he sure does. <laughs> and now the two of them start talking. And I'm telling you, in three minutes, all three of them are weeping. And he says, look, I can't save you, but Jesus can. He said, you want to know? He said, here's what we're going to do. He said, I want you to get on your knees right here. Now, we are in a gas mart with linoleum. You can't get people to kneel on carpet. Those people hit the ground with the thud. Now, two more guys come walking in. And they see these people on the ground crying. And the one guy said, is this a stick-up? And you know what the preacher said? I'm robbing the devil. He said, get in line. And I'm like, I have never, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like this. This is not possible. Those people were boo-hooing and bawling. The girl behind the counter was having a fit. Some guy called in over a speaker, I need gas, and she said, you'll have to wait, and she just <laughs> shut him down. We walked out of there. Those people, I'm telling you, got saved. We're going back to our van, and I said, I don't believe that. He looked at me, and he said, you could do it. He said, David, I'm not good at this. And he said, there's only one difference between you and me, son. I asked. You didn't. You want to do the impossible? It starts with asking. Give me one soul a day. At least. And I want to be convinced they got saved. 
And I don't want to take any of them that get saved in our church. I want one out there every day. You see, that's not possible. We serve the God who says with me, all things are possible. But you got to ask. Peter, didn't anybody explain to you it's not possible? You're a fisherman. You understand this. You watched men drown. 